Well, we're in a series, if this is your first time to be with us this summer, we're in a series of messages on spirit-filled family living. And uh, before I talk about that, I would like to say to those of you who are our guests, every summer God has been pleased to give us a series of messages that uh, have really been, in a way, the high point of our preaching year. When I grew up, it was a time in which uh, the idea was that churches geared down in the summer. In fact, uh, in the old days, in the Northeast, uh, pastors, a lot of times of large churches, would disappear the first Sunday of July, and he wouldn't show up again until the first Sunday of September, because the summer was just kind of time taken off. I never have believed that, though. I, I, we need the Lord every day, amen? And I don't want to take any time off from God, because I don't want God to take any time off from me. And uh, that's why here at Messiah, we gear up in the summer. It's been our blessing to do that. Back in 1991, I preached, uh, well, one of the first of the summer series, Let's Get Real, in 93, uh, Building Your House on the Rock. 94 was the year that I wasn't sure God was going to give me a summer series. And uh, because I just kept praying, kept praying. Most of the time, I know by, by March, at least, what God is going to have me preach on in the summer, and I'm already working on it. But uh, in 1994, I remember that summer came and I didn't have anything. I kept praying. I said, God, what do you want me to share with the people this year? And, and nothing came. First week of June, I, I preached a generic message, no series. And I thought maybe this will be the year that God won't give me a summer series. But went out jogging that week. And by the time I got back, you old timers will remember this particular series. Everything of Bible characters, 90s people was in my heart, my mind came back and preached that. Last year, Days of Noah, Days of Lot. And I've often looked back on that series and believed that God gave us that truth to prepare us for September 11th. In fact, I don't know if you remember this, but the very last sermon from Bible Characters, 90s People, excuse me, of uh, from, uh, Days of Noah, Days of Lot last year was epilogue. It was preached on September the 9th. And uh, God does things, I think, in a special way for our congregation in the summer. And I don't take any credit for that. I just am God's messenger. I preach the truth as God gives it to me. But it has been a tradition here at Messiah, and I think a good tradition, that God has blessed us with some very special truth for the summer. And this summer, I've got a series that I know the Lord has laid on my heart. It's been on my heart for months now. In fact, I've just been so excited about finally getting to preach it to you. And the series, of course, is Spirit-Filled Family Living. Two years ago, the summer series was on the Holy Spirit. I preached over 20 weeks on the Holy Spirit. And God did a great work in our church. In fact, I'm not sure our church has ever been the same since that series. But I have believed that that series did not go far enough. Because we talked about who the Holy Spirit is, how He works, how He uh, functions in our lives, what God wants to do, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about it in a lot of context. But I honestly believe that what the average Christian home needs is the filling of the Spirit in the home. Last time I preached to you two weeks ago, I talked about how that after we have a great service here on Sunday mornings, um, and oftentimes we have two wonderful services on Sunday mornings, and Pastor Price and I will meet here at the end of the service, and we'll say, did the Holy Spirit meet with us here today? And you, just, you say the same things. And we should, because that's what's happened. Anytime anything good happens here, it's because the Holy Spirit met with us. Well, when was the last time you said, wow, didn't the Holy Spirit meet with us at home today? Didn't we have a great spirit-filled day in our marriage and with our children? And maybe you do talk like that, but I don't think the average Christian does. And so that's why I'm preaching this summer in order that we can learn that the Spirit of God wants to infuse and empower our homes, our marriages, and families. 
If pastoring 25 years has taught me anything, it's taught me that a lot of people, good people, who come to church every Sunday, who dress up, who even give a witness for Jesus Christ before their friends sometimes, a lot of them really struggle in their, with their marriages and with their children. And uh, I, I really believe that the missing ingredient in, a lot of, in most of our cases is we just really do not have the filling of God's Spirit with our family. So I want to go back and take a few moments to go over what we looked at last time, two weeks ago. First reason, I wasn't here last week. I was preaching in Texas. And by the way, I enjoy preaching in Texas. I was in the hill country uh, last week, which is just ground zero of God's country. And I am, I am a Texan. I, you know, I have to admit to that. I've been here 17 years, but I'm, I'm born and bred a Texan. And every once in a while, I think, man, I'm, I kind of miss Texas. And then I go down there and I realize there's nothing here to miss. And I miss home. And I'm, I'm so glad to be back here with you today. But I missed, uh, missed last week, and so you know how it is when you, when you take two weeks off, you can kind of slip a little bit in your memory of what we covered. And what we covered was a principle. That was the important thing about the last time I preached to you. We laid down the principle that is foundational for everything that we are going to, to study this summer. So I, I want to go back over that principle. That's the first reason uh, why we're doing a little bit of, of looking back to the last sermon. And then there is a second reason why I want us to go back and look at what we covered two weeks ago. Um, and, and to be very honest with you, uh, this, is, this is what happened. I, after the second service two weeks ago, the last time I preached to you on, on this, uh, this series, the principle about sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. Remember, that's what it was all about. Uh, I was walking, just stepping this way toward this door. My office is right outside this door. So often after the service, I'll head for my office and that's where I was headed. I got about 10 steps on the platform. Nobody said a word to me, at least no one human said a word to me. And it came to me that I had left out probably the most important part of what I needed to say to you. In fact, if I, it hit me that if I did not give you this missing ingredient, that you might not have the incentive to employ the change in your life that I was talking about. So for those two reasons today, I want us to go back over uh, some things that we covered last time, just briefly, I want us to review for a moment. And in that review, I'd like for us to look back at the scripture I gave you. And we're going to look at the scripture again and again and again. In fact, we'll probably look at it four or five times just today. But this is the underlying principle. If you want your home to be revolutionized, the key is in this verse. If you want your home to be improved, then go to counseling, read nice books, and hope that you can change your partner and he or she will become what you want them to be. Or hope that you, can tra- that you can change your kids into them being what you want them to be. But if you're interested in transformation, in having a new marriage, in having a, a new wife, a new husband, a, a new relationship with your children. If you're interested in transformation, then you must grasp what this verse is saying. It's in Galatians chapter 6 verse 8. Where the Bible says, the one who sows to please his sinful nature... From that nature will we reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, I want to just, let's go through a view. Really, what we're about to do now is we're about to cover the main points of the message two weeks ago. I know you already have this if you were here and you took notes that day. But I want us to go back over what we covered so that we can get up to where we need to be. We discovered that, first of all, that verse that we just read teaches us that the child of God has two internal natures. Let me stress that. The child of God has two, eternal, two internal natures. If you are not yet saved, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, 
You just have one nature. But if you're God's child, you have two internal forces within you. The first one is what we call the flesh. We read about it a moment ago, or the sinful nature. The Bible says, he that sows to the sinful nature will of that nature reap destruction. So that is the, na- that is the first nature that you have within you. The flesh is the sinful nature that we inherited from Adam, which is predisposed towards sinfulness. Every one of us has that. Now, if you're not yet saved, that's all you have. But that flesh is that part of us that is just bent toward doing wrong. Does not matter how good a Christian you are, you still have the flesh and you still contend with it. Now, if you're God's child, you don't want it. Amen. You'd like to get rid of it and praise God you will someday because in the book of 1 John chapter 3, the Bible says when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and we will drop this. In fact, that's by the way, church, I don't have time to preach this today. I wish I did. That is why you have to die. See, that's why death has to come. Or at the rapture, that's why the Bible says we must be changed. We have that old nature within us that is predisposed towards sin. That's the flesh. And the Bible is telling us if we sow to that flesh, we'll reap death. The second nature is the spirit. And the spirit is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. If you're God's child, you have both natures. You have the old Adamic flesh that you inherited when you were born. But the Spirit of God moved into your life when you were born again. That is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. All of us have been born of the flesh. Amen. If you can be seen, you're born of the flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But he said, Nicodemus, that which is born of the, tell me church, The spirit is spirit. See, you have two natures within you. The flesh you were born with and the spirit of God you were born again with. When the spirit of God came into your life, you have the indwelling presence of no one less than the Holy Spirit. Now, what that verse taught us two weeks ago when we we looked at it is that every thought, every action, every attitude is a sown seed that will become part of a future harvest. With those two natures you have, the flesh and the spirit, every action you have, every thought, every attitude is a seed, and you're either sowing to the flesh or you're sowing to the spirit. That needs to be in our minds very clearly. Now, we also saw that most people are just dealing with the moment. It's not a matter in their minds of sowing seed that's going to reap a future harvest. They're just dealing with the moment, not recognizing that there are future consequences to everything that happens. Well, listen, let me tell you something. You show me a Christian home where there is trouble. You show me a Christian marriage where there is trouble. And, uh, and I'll show you a home where at least one person is ignorant that he or she is sowing seed. They think they're just reacting to the moment. Uh, you know, I'm angry at my wife, so I'm going to tell her how I feel. Or I just don't feel like doing anything. I mean, I feel like pleasing myself. I don't feel like pleasing uh, my family. Or I don't feel like obeying my parents today. All they feel is the moment, the impetus, or, or, or just the stimulus of the moment, they fail to understand that they're sowing seed that's going to result in a future harvest. Now, we've already covered this one, but sowing to the flesh results in destruction. Anytime I act according to my flesh, anytime I do what my flesh wants me to do, I am sowing a seed that's going to result in some kind of death. And then sowing to the Spirit, anytime I am obedient to the Holy Spirit in my marriage, in my home, in my life, 
there's going to be life that will result from that. I may not see it today, but it's a seed that's been dropped in the ground. And someday that seed will spring up in life. How God brings that about, I do not know, but I know the truth of it. If I sow to my flesh, death will be the result. If I sow to the Spirit of God, life will be the result. And as I preached to you last time, the snapshot of your life today is a result of the seeds that have been sown. Now, if you're in a family, obviously, you didn't sow all those seeds. Your husband sowed some seeds. Your wife sowed some seeds. Your kids are sowing some seed. And your parents are sowing some seed. But simply put, the snapshot of your life right now is a result of the seed that has been sown. Well, you may say, Pastor, I'm in a really tough harvest right now. It's a bad harvest going on in my life. And I said to you, a lot of people think they have a bad marriage when really what they have is a bad harvest. They think they married the wrong person. The problem is they've been dropping too many bad seeds in the ground. And now there's a bad harvest. So what do we do? Well, the good news we discovered last week is it can be changed. You don't have to continue living with a bad harvest. We said, first of all, make a decision to believe God. See, here's the thing. The world tells you that you can change your behavior if you learn new patterns of thinking, learn new ways of acting. But the Word of God tells us that it's possible to be transformed. So first of all, you make a decision to believe God. Number two, stop sowing bad seed. If you're sowing bad seed, it's just smart to quit. You may not stop the bad harvest. There may be some bad things that happen because of seeds that you sowed 20 years ago. But stop sowing bad seed. just makes good sense. Amen? I mean, that's, that's the first thing. If, if you're in a bad harvest, stop sowing bad seed. You say, well, pastor, it's just been this way and I might as well give up and never, nothing's ever going to change. Give God a chance. Give God a chance. Just stop dropping the bad seed in the ground. You say, Pastor, I can't change. Then you don't believe this book. Because here's the thing. You may not have and you do not have the power to change yourself. But the Holy Spirit of God has the power to transform you. So stop dropping bad seeds. Start sowing spiritual seed. You can make a change today. We'll be talking about this for the next three weeks. But you can make a change today in your heart to say, God, by your grace. I don't know everything the Spirit of God is saying to me. But I want to obey the Spirit of God. Whatever God's Spirit is saying, whatever the Word says... I'm going to obey that. Now, you may still have another year, two, three years of bad harvest. Who knows? The bad harvest could end today. But by starting sowing spiritual seed, there can be a transformation in your life, in your marriage, and with your children. And then last, and I've kind of led up to this, if you switch seed during a bad harvest, which is what I just talked about, hang on until the new crop comes in. Because I really believe, if, you, if some of you will buy into this message during this series, but you've had some bad things going on in your marriage and with your family. And you say, well, Pastor Hoover, okay, I'm going to start sowing to the Spirit. But the problem is you're still going through a bad harvest. The challenge is to hang on and to believe God and say, okay, I know that there have been some bad seed dropped in the ground for a long time. And those seed are going to come up for a while. But I'm going to believe God that by starting sowing spiritual seed, that after a while, God's going to begin to bring that good harvest to fruition. Okay, that's the review. That brings us up to where we are this morning. But like I said, two weeks ago, when I preached the last service to you, sermon to you in the second service, I was walking toward my office, and it hit me that I left out something huge. And frankly, church, I, I believe I left the door open to a misunderstanding. And I am preaching this sermon today. This sermon was not part of the schedule. I had planned to preach on sowing to the Spirit, and I'll preach on that next Sunday morning. But this sermon, this was not part of the series in my initial plans. I am preaching it today to deal with an oversight, my oversight, in preaching this last message. 
I talked to you about the concept of sowing. We've been talking about it already today. You drop spiritual seed in the ground, there's life. You drop fleshly seed in the ground, there is death. And every thought, every action, every attitude is a seed that you will see again. All that is true. What I think I failed to preach to you, and I want to preach to you today, is the distinction between the world's slant on that and divine truth. See, we live in a day when the world has so infiltrated the church that there's a lot of worldly thinking that somehow can get blended with the Bible. And by the way, when you study the Old Testament, a lot of the idolatry that existed was not the children of Israel leaving the ways of Jehovah and going to the ways of Baal. It was trying to bring Jehovah and Baal together. And I think there's a lot of worldly thinking that has seeped into the church. And I was walking to my office and I thought, you know, I don't know that I really presented a clear distinction between the world's slant on this and the Holy Spirit divine truth that we have in the Word of God. And this idea of sowing a seed and the seed bringing a harvest, here's what I want to say to you. Even the world has a slant on that. The world actually buys into that to some degree. We hear it in an expression. I've heard it since childhood. What goes around comes around. If you do something good, something good will happen to you. If you do something bad, something bad will happen to you. It is a tenet of Eastern religion, so much so that we have actually adopted a word into our common usage from Eastern religion that bears this concept. And the word is karma. Karma is the law of moral causation, action and reaction in the ethical realm. Karma is a natural law. I don't think there's anything to karma, but in the, in the definition of karma, it's the natural law that every action produces a certain effect. Simply put, whatever you do today, you're going to see again. If you do something good, something good will happen to you. If you do something bad, something bad will happen to you. If something bad happens to you, it was supposed to happen to you. It is just bad karma. If you do something good, something good's going to happen to you. It's good karma. Do you hear people talk like that today? I do. I I hear it to the point of nausea. What I want to say to you, what I thought about when I was 10 10 steps away from this platform, what I thought was, I want you to understand I am talking about more than just karma here. I'm not talking about you doing something good and something good is going to happen to you. I'm talking, see, that that worried me because I thought that there might be somebody here that say, well, Pastor Hoover was talking about Christian karma today, whatever that is. Pastor was saying, you know, if we obey the Spirit of God, it's a seed we drop in the ground. I drop the seed in the ground, something good is going to happen to me, something good is going to happen to my family. That, that's essentially true, but it does not scratch the surface of the principle that I'm trying to share with you. Listen, if you hear our, if you hear our text verse, Galatians 6, 8, the one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. If you hear that as Christian karma... I have to wonder, is that really enough incentive for you to change a life? Probably not. I mean, the flesh is strong, and most of us have lived in bondage to our old natures for so long. It is a huge challenge to turn around and sow to the Spirit. I've been burdened about that ever since I got into this series. I begin to wonder, what would it take? See, what would it take to change a 21st century church in America like Messiah Baptist Church? This is the greatest church I know of, but we're blessed. I mean, most of us don't worry about where our next meal is coming from. We drive nice automobiles. We live in nice homes. We, nice homes, we wear nice clothes. We're pretty comfortable in the world. It, it came to me, what, what would be the incentive 
for us to change from sowing to our flesh to the point where we would start sowing to the Spirit. And my thinking is this. If all we're deriving from this text is some idea of spiritual karma, if I do something nice, something nice is going to happen to me, I'm not sure that that will provide the impetus for us to change our way of thinking. But that's not what our text is telling us, folks. It's not Christian karma here. I want us to go back one more time to Galatians 6, verse 8. Listen to it and look at it carefully. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Leave that up on the screens for just a moment, if you would. See, here's, here's the distinction. In karma, in what goes around comes around. The idea is, if I do something bad, somewhere out there in the vast expanse of whatever is out there, something bad is going to come back to me. If I do something good from somewhere out there in the great nowhere, something good is going to happen to me. That is the idea of karma, that somehow there's a cyclical pattern of of conduct and thoughts and attitudes. If I do something good somewhere out there from nowhere, something good will happen to me. That is not what the text is saying. One more time, look at it. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. It's not that if you do something bad, somewhere out there in the great nothingness, something bad is going to come back to you. It's just simply this. If you've got your sinful nature pumping iron, and and you're nourishing that sinful nature, and you're dropping seeds in the ground, it will be that sinful nature that will destroy you. Your wife won't destroy you. Your husband won't destroy you. Your kids won't won't destroy you. Your own sinful nature will destroy you. By opening the door to your flesh to rule in your life, It's what will have the power to bring you death. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. When you sow to the Spirit, when you begin to say, I'm going to sow the seeds of my thoughts and my actions and my attitudes to be in obedience to the Spirit of God, it's not that somewhere out there in the vast expanse that somehow some sort of accidental causation is going to bring something good into your life. It is that you have opened the door to the Holy Spirit and He moves in to work in your life. Now, I don't know about you, but that's enough incentive for me to change. Because I want the Holy Spirit in my marriage. I want the Holy Spirit with my children's relationships. I want the Holy Spirit, even if you're single today, this works just as much as for anyone else. It works in your life. Thank you. I appreciate you leaving that up on the screen. You see, you can sow to two destinies. You can sow to the flesh. You can sow to the spirit. Here's the point of today's sermons. sermon. One of those is a proper noun. The Holy Spirit. See, it's not just even to a nature. It is sowing to the, to the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And I'm preaching this summer with all my heart because I want you to understand that if you will begin to sow to the spirit... It will revolutionize your life. It will revolutionize your marriage. It will revolutionize your relationship with your children. Young people, uh, it will revolutionize your relationship with your parents. Not because what goes around comes around. Not because there's some sort of impersonal force that's going to bring some sort of unexplained action into your life. But because you have surrendered to the Spirit of God. You have sown an act of obedience. You have sown a thought that is in line with the Spirit of God. You have sown an attitude that is of the Spirit. And because you have sown a seed into the Spirit of God, that Spirit of God comes into your life, into your family, and He does a work. Listen, He does a work that only God can do and nobody but God can explain. 
And beloved, I believe that. I have seen him do it. See, this is so much bigger than karma, amen? It's even bigger than Christian karma if there was such a thing. Now, I want to talk incentive with you this morning because that's been my whole thing. What, what would be enough incentive for you to stop sowing to your flesh? And you say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Let me, let, let me just get off my, my theological horse here and let's just get right down where we live. Your husband says uh, a cutting word to you. And your flesh says, if I say a cutting word back to him, I'll feel good. Isn't that what your flesh says? Amen? I mean, unscrew the halo. I mean, you know, your, your wife just says something catches you wrong. And you think, well, boy, I got something to say to her. Because my flesh says, if I get even, if I can get that dig in myself, I'm going to feel good about it. But do you feel good? No. But my question is this. Let's suppose you get into a conflict with your wife and, and she says something that just kind of hurts your feelings. And, and you, at that point, you have a seed in your hand. What you do next is either a seed that will be sown to the flesh or a seed that will be sown to the Spirit. And the Spirit of God is saying, be gracious, be loving, be kind. And the flesh is saying, don't do that. You won't feel good at all if you do that. You'll be run over. You want people, you, you want people to take advantage of you? What's the incentive? See, that's my whole point. What's the incentive of sowing to the Spirit at that moment? Well, let's talk about for a few moments. Who moves into your situation when the Holy Spirit shows up? Because just who is the Holy Spirit? Now, again, you can go back to the tape table. The whole series from from, uh, two years ago is there. I think I preached over 20 weeks on the Holy Spirit. A lot of these things are contained in that series. And I don't have time to go over it again. But let's just talk about this in simple terms. Who moves into your situation when the Holy Spirit moves in? Do you believe and do you understand that the Creator moves in? The Word of God tells us that the Holy Spirit was active in creation. Genesis 1, 26, and God said, let us make man in our image. The Hebrews had a way of expressing number in their language. They had the singular, which was one, the dual, which was two, and the plural, which was more than two. When the Hebrew language says, let us make man in our image, it was in the plural. There were three. Who? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have error today. And listen, I want to be real clear about this. We have some... We have some good, we have some eloquent Bible teachers today going up and down the country saying that there is no such thing as a trinity, that in the Old Testament he was God the Father, that when he was on the earth he was God the Son, and now he is God the Holy Spirit. There is one God but three manifestations, only one person, but manifested three different ways. But beloved, the Word of God teaches us that there are three persons. There is a trinity, one God, but three persons. If there were not three persons, explain to me the baptism of Jesus. Because Jesus is being baptized, the Father is speaking from heaven, and the Holy Spirit is descending like a dove. I just want to tell you that when the world was created, the Holy Spirit was creating. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the very second verse of your Bible, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, I want to time out here for a moment. That's what the Holy Spirit can do. When he first looked at the world, the earth was without form. It was void. It was dark. Some of you, and I'm not trying to alter the Word of God, but some of you could put your marriage in Genesis 1, 2. 
And you could say, my marriage is without form. It's void and darkness is on the face of my marriage. But let me tell you something. The same Spirit of God that can move over this world when it was void and dark and formless, He can move over your marriage. He can move over the relationship that you have with your children. I'm just trying to tell you that when you sow to the Spirit, I want to give you some incentive this morning. When you sow to the Spirit, you invite the one into your marriage who created the world. That when this earth was without form and void and dark, he moved over it. And look at the beauty of the world today. Some of you could say, Pastor, I don't know if there's any hope for my marriage. Why don't you let the Holy Spirit have his way? You say, Pastor, I'm not sure if there's any hope for the relationship that I have with my children. And I don't know if they're ever going to change. Well, maybe you can't change them. But you start dropping spiritual seed. You start surrendering to the attitudes and the will and the words of the Holy Spirit and let him have his chance in your home and in your relationships. Job knew about it. In Job 33, verse 4, he said, the Spirit of God hath made me. Listen to that. The Spirit of God hath made me. And the breath of the Almighty has given me life. Listen, when you invite the Holy Spirit into your home, you bring the one in who created the world. Number two, he was active in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, please, don't ask me after service to explain this, because how do you explain the inner workings of the Godhead? But I do know that when Jesus died, when his body lay in the grave, the Holy Spirit was active in raising him from the dead. I don't understand everything, how it worked out, but I do know he was active because Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says this. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or resurrect your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth within you. That means he was active in the resurrection of Jesus and he'll be active in your resurrection. Now, that's great. I like that because I've had a lot of people tell me, Pastor, our marriage is dead. Well, I know somebody in the resurrection business. You say, Pastor, my relationship with my kids is dead. That's, that's sad, but I know somebody who can resurrect that relationship. See, the Holy Spirit is in the life-giving business. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then finally, the Holy Spirit is God. Let me give you, a, this is kind of a side text here, but in the book of Acts chapter 5, there were some people who lied to the Holy Spirit, and God killed them. They told a lie in church. They died, a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5, verse 3, but Peter said, this is right before Ananias was stricken dead. Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Okay, church, who did, who did Ananias lie to? Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, amen? Is that what the text says? Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not... In thine own power, why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto? Unto God. Who do you lie to? You lie to the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. You say, I thought, Pastor, I thought the Holy Spirit was some kind of impersonal force or wind that God brought into the world to do His work. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is the Creator. He is the, the Resurrector. He is also God Himself. I preach that to you so that you will understand I'm not talking about Christian karma. I'm not saying you do something nice in your family and something nice will result. I'm saying that if you sow spiritual seed, the Holy Spirit of God will move into your home, move into your relationship with your wife, move into your relationship with your children, and He will do the things that only God can do. Now think about the problems of the, think about the, problems of the Holy Spirit that we just read about. The earth was without form. He worked. Jesus' body lay in a tomb. He worked. 
There is, listen, if he can handle those things, there is no problem you have he can't handle. See, I'm concerned because I I see the church just going the same road that the world is going. And I I thank God for counseling has an appropriate application. I still do it. I mean, I think there are times when there has to to be some, some diagnostic work with someone who's having difficulty. But I just tell you this, I believe about 98% of counseling in Christian community could be changed and solved and dealt with if God's people would just start sowing to the spirit of God and letting God work in their marriages and letting God work with their children. So many times I've sat in my office and I thought, unless these people see God, there is nothing I can do for them. We've got the idea that people can go to counseling like a car going through a car wash. And when it comes out, they can be dried off and sent back on the road. But that's not how it happens. There is a real transformation that can happen when God goes to work. I'm thinking about a couple who came into counseling for me to me one day. And I, I, usually, I usually have a lot of hope when I talk to people. But I got to be honest, these are sweet people, and I loved them. He, he was one of the most successful businessmen that I've ever met. And they're both, they're both wonderful people. You know how it is? If you ever, you ever talk to somebody, a couple that were having marriage trouble, and, and you talk to one of them, and, and you talk to the other, and you say, well, these are the greatest people, but when you see them together, they just have all kinds of problems. And that's what was going on with this couple. I mean, listen, this is the truth. They sat in my office, and the next thing I know, they got into a fight with each other in front of me. Now, usually people put on their best behavior when they're with the pastor, amen? For one thing, they they didn't come in looking for a solution. They came in looking for a referee. They came in looking for somebody to take their side. And so usually people on their best behavior when they talk to the pastor, and and basically what they do when they want to do, and I watch this hundreds of times, you know, somebody says, it's not my fault. Boy, pastor, I'm holy. I'm good. You know, it isn't my, I don't know why we're having marriage trouble. And that's kind of how it happens, you know, and I, I guess I'd be in the same boat if I was in that situation. But I mean, this couple came in, nice people sat down, and I mean, within five minutes, they were in a scratching, I mean, not physically, but word-wise, they were in a scratching and clawing fight. And I'm sitting back here wondering what is going on, thinking I didn't buy a ticket to this. <laughs> and I sat there, and the Lord is my witness. I sat there, and I thought, I don't think this marriage is going to make it. I mean, if you, can't even, if you can't even behave yourself in front of your pastor. But I mean, they were just going at it. And uh, finally, I thought to myself, the only thing I could think of, I went back to the back and the tape table and I got a hold of a, I got a hold of a series that I had preached on, on the home. And I said, I want you to listen to this in the morning and listen to it at night. And I've done that quite a few times with couples. Some of you will remember the Building Your House on the Rock series. Just biblical principles applied to the home. I said, listen to this. I want to tell you, within a week, I've never seen anything like that in my life. That couple was transformed. If you saw them today, you'd think they're one of the most in-love couples you've ever seen in your life. Is it, is it because of me? No. You, you, I told you how, how effective I was. <laughs> was it counseling? Listen, that was a loss with them. But you know what they did? In the morning and in the evening, they sat down together with the Word of God and biblical principles, invited the Holy Spirit in, and I want to tell you something. They are a transformed couple on fire for God, witnessing to their friends. It wasn't something I did. It was something the Holy Spirit did. And I am telling you today, don't give up. There is hope for your marriage. There is hope 
for your family. I can't do it. Messiah Baptist Church can't do it. But I know the Holy Spirit can do it if you'll just give Him a chance. I close this morning with the, uh, the fact that there's a strong biblical connection between the Spirit of God and the concept of life. Whenever you read about the Spirit of God, He's associated with life. And then that's our text, isn't it? Because if you sow to the flesh, it's death. But if you sow to the Spirit, it's life. The Holy Spirit is associated with life. As I close out the message, let me just give you some, some, some text to think about. Jesus said in John 66, 63, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit, they are life. Romans 8, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, verse 10, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Simple statement from 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Revelation twenty two seventeen. the last page of your Bible, one of the last major messages in your, in, in your, in your Scripture. The Spirit, there we go, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever's thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. What is the last thing the Holy Spirit tells you before the Bible closes? The Holy Spirit says, come and take the water of life. You don't have to die anymore. I'm preaching to somebody today and you think your marriage is dead. If you still have your marriage... And I know that some of you have had that taken away and it wasn't your choice. God will help you. This principle will still work in your life as an individual. But some of you today, you have a marriage. You still have your marriage and you think it's dead. It isn't dead. The Holy Spirit can breathe life into it. Give the Holy Spirit a chance. Some of you have a relationship that's strained between you and one of your children. I played golf with a Christian businessman, one of the richest men in our community. He told me he has a son he hasn't spoken to in eight years. And I thought if I were him, I'd trade all my money for that one thing. To have my relationship with my son restored. Maybe somebody's here like that today and you've got a relationship that's strained with your son or with your daughter and you've tried to do everything that you know to do. How about giving the Holy Spirit a chance? You say, Pastor, I don't know if they'll sow spiritual seed. How about you sowing spiritual seed? See, that's it. That's the key. It's not saying, well, I don't know if I can get my wife to do this. I don't know if I can get my kids to do this. I don't know if I can get my husband to do this. Okay, you go out and start sowing spiritual seed. Because, see, that's the issue. It's not what you can get your wife to do. It's not what you can get your husband to do. It's not what you can get your children to do. It's what the Holy Spirit will do when he comes into work. Otherwise, it's just Christian karma. Give the life giver a chance. And now I have to come to the most important thing because, see, here's the issue. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's no Holy Spirit in you. You don't have a chance. The best you can hope for is just try to improve things. But, see, there is a part of you that's dead. The Holy Spirit has not come into your life. Jesus talked to the most religious man in his time, and he said, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Why? Because he said that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You have to be born again. You have to have the Holy Spirit come into you. Somebody will say, Pastor, how do I get the Holy Spirit in my life? How do I get born again? And by the way, when you're born again, you suddenly have eternal life as the free gift of God. God writes your name in the Lamb's book of life, forgives all your sins, 
takes you to heaven when you die. When you die, you say, Pastor, how do I get this? You get it by asking for it. It is a free gift of God. I mean, I got it when I was eight years old, been over the water fountain of my school and asked Jesus to come into my heart and life. He brought the Holy Spirit with him when he came. And from that moment on, I've had the Holy Spirit in my life. I haven't always been perfect, haven't even always been good. But God has been good. And I'm preaching to some of you here today. If you were to die right now, you don't know for sure that you would go to heaven because you haven't had the Holy Spirit come into your life. God has not saved you yet. But he wants to. He's waiting on you. You're not waiting on him. He's waiting on you. All you have to do is ask him. The word of God tells us that we're sinners, that Jesus died. His death was a payment for our sins. That's how you get it free. Jesus paid for it. And by faith, all you have to do is to reach out to invite Jesus into your heart. He'll forgive you of every sin, write your name in the book of life, take you to heaven when you die, and give you the Holy Spirit so that you can make it while you're here. Has that happened to you? You say, Pastor, it sounds like the most wonderful thing in the world. It is. It is. I tell you what, I'll be right here at the front. If you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, whether you're in the balcony or galleries or wherever you are, why don't you just come meet me right here? There'll be men and women who'll take a Bible and show you how you can pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. It'll be the greatest moment you've ever experienced. Maybe you're here today and you're God's child, but God has led you to Messiah. You come. We want you to be part of our family. Maybe you're here today and you just want to come and pray at the altar. That's what the altars are for. You might want to get your wife or your husband and say, let's pray that God will give us a spirit-filled marriage. I want that in my marriage. If God is leading you, that's what the altar's for today. Let's stand to our feet. And right now, if God is leading you to do anything, let's not do anything that will disturb in the invitation. This is the most important few moments we will spend today. If God is speaking to you, you slip out of your seat and come. I'll be standing right here at the front.